All right, if you haven't already, why don't you go grab a physical Bible or perhaps a Bible on your phone. We're going to go right to Romans 12, verse 17. And this summer, in the great disruption of 2020, we've been going a verse per week at a time through a very significant section of Scripture where the Apostle Paul writes to followers of Jesus in the city of Rome, but also to us today, what it means to put our faith into action. And in those 13 verses, Paul uses 38 verbs to describe what it looks like in practice to be a follower of Jesus. And that's what the world needs now. It is the power of God manifest through the people of God, the body of Christ. Jesus longs for us to be his hands and his feet, not only in our relationships with our neighbors and our friends and our family and our coworkers, but even with people who are very much different than us. We find ourselves in Romans 12, 17 today. It's the ninth week in this sermon series. If you've missed any of them, you can go to our podcasts, wherever you can be listened to, or even to our YouTube channel, and begin with Love Without Hypocrisy. That was week one of this summer sermon series. And right now in Romans 12, 17, the Apostle Paul very briefly writes this. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. This, my friends, is the reading of God's word. And as we say every week, thanks be to God. Okay, let's just walk through this word at a time. It very, in the very beginning, it begins with this phrase, do not repay. In this section of scripture, this is one of four negative commands, things that the Apostle Paul tells us not to do. Last week, he told us not to be haughty, to be arrogant, to be prideful, to think of ourselves higher than we should. In this verse, he says to not repay. Now, the Greek word is apodidontes. It means to repay, to return, to reward. Now, to understand this concept, you've got to understand that you can't repay anything unless it's first been paid to you. You can't return anything unless it's first been given to you. You can't reward anyone unless they've first done something. And so the Apostle Paul is saying that there are times in your life where something will happen to you. Something will be said about you or perhaps done against you. Paul says in those moments that there is a knee-jerk reaction, a reactionary move to repay, to return, to reward, to apodontes, evil for evil. Now, it's been said that uh, the greatest things in life are free. Whether that's true or not is one thing, but I really believe that the, the very bad things in life are never free. In fact, it seems like we live in a world where we keep uh, very balanced accounts, let's say it that way. Uh, when a person wrongs us, there is a price to pay. And because there is a price to pay, we also live in a reactionary world where uh, the price to pay in the beginning isn't the only price to pay. And then somebody responds in kind and there's this never ending cycle of violence and of hate and of backbiting. We see it in the news. We see it in our social media feeds. We see it in families. And the Apostle Paul says that there is a cure for this repayment of evil for evil. And he says it in a way in the Greek that is much more clear than how we've translated it into the English. 
You see in our English translation, this is the New Revised Standard Version, the Apostle Paul says, uh, don't repay evil for evil, but take thought. Take thought. And it doesn't really communicate uh, how premeditated this action is compared to the word in the Greek language. The word in the Greek language for take thought is pronoeo. It literally means to think about in advance, to consider long before you get there, to premeditate and dwell upon something before you even find yourself in this situation. You see what the Apostle Paul is doing here is saying that there is only one way in which we can stop this cycle of a tit for tat, a jab for an undercut, uh, an affront to a backhand comment, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life, an evil for an evil. There is only one way where we can confront this never-ending cycle of all that is around us and sometimes even in us, but it has to be premeditated. In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying that he wants us to fixate on something so much, to maybe even obsess over, to rehearse in our minds, to perhaps spend many minutes and many hours and many days imagining what it's going to be like so that by the time we get to doing the thing, which we'll get to in a moment, that we will finally do, we'll have thought about it so much, we would have premeditated on it so much that it will be, once we do it, something so natural that just flows out of who we are. You see, the Apostle Paul says to take thought for what is noble. In the Greek, that's pronoeo kata. Kata is that which is good, that which is beautiful, that which causes the flourishing of others. So what Paul is saying, to not repay evil for evil, and the solution to ending murder is premeditated mercy. Kind of like the ring of that. Premeditated mercy. What I want for us today is to take a look at what premeditated mercy looks like, and I'm going to teach you how to get away with it. So let's take a look at this idea of what premeditated mercy is. It's kind of like premeditated honor, premeditated love, premeditated service, premeditated mercy happens before an interaction. It happens during an interaction and there's something that happens after the interaction. So I'm going to base this sermon kind of around three ideas, three points. This is uh, what premeditated mercy is. First, it's this. Premeditated mercy begins with God-focused prayer before the interaction. But second, premeditated mercy continues with God-focused endurance during the interaction. And third, premeditated mercy finishes with God-focused worship after the interaction. And when I say before the interaction, during the interaction, and after the interaction, what I'm talking about are the, the things that you know you have coming up. The phone call you've got to make to that person 
the response to that email that you've been putting off, the meeting that you know that you're going to have, and perhaps there's going to be a moment where likely you will react in a way that you don't want to react. And the, the human, the kind of the flesh, the, the non-Christ-centered way of doing things, and I got to tell you, I, I, I've times in my life where I, I, I've I've done this, maybe you've done this too, where before you interact with somebody that you know it's going to be difficult, you know they're going to say something that's going to set you off. Have you done this? I've done it. I actually have an argument with them in my head before I even pick up the phone. I have an argument in my head before I even sit down and have a meal with somebody. Have you done that before? It's almost as if I, I premeditate an argument. I premeditate a counterattack. I, I, I premeditate something that actually, that, that's what Paul is saying. That's the problem in this world. Is that we spend all of our energy in advance of these moments premeditating something completely contrary to the heart of God. And in doing so, we, we perpetuate this cycle of evil being repaid for evil. But Paul says, no, there is a different type of activity that you can meditate upon, that you can dwell upon, that you can set your heart and your mind upon. For today, we'll call it premeditated mercy. So again, it begins before an interaction with God-focused prayer. I want you to imagine before you even have that interaction with somebody that you know is going to go wrong, or before you even stumble upon a, a happenstance encounter with somebody that you didn't even plan, but what if before that you began to pray God-focused prayers that would enable you to literally premeditate on mercy and love and goodness in God's heart? Let me read you two passages of Scripture that that press in on this idea. Jesus says himself in Luke 6, 27 through 36, hear these words. Jesus says, I say to you, listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who would abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. But Jesus goes on. If you love those who love you already, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. But if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Again, for even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love, Jesus says, but love your enemies. Do good and lend to them expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great and you will be children of God the Most High for God is kind to the ungrateful and God is kind to the wicked. Be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. From the lips of Jesus, 
He says to break this cycle of violence and evil that we have to be merciful as God our Father is merciful. That we have to have the type of mercy that isn't just reactionary, but a mercy that plans in advance to be merciful. You see, the more I study scripture, the more I realize that God is outside of time, that God uh, is not reactionary, that God actually long before the foundations of the heavens and the earth, somehow in God's all-knowingness, God's sovereignty, God's heart was propelled towards extending mercy in advance before God even had to from our point of view. And so the Apostle Paul is saying this in Romans 12, 17. Jesus said that in that passage in Luke, that we are called to be merciful as God our Father is merciful. And that starts when you are alone by yourself in prayer. Imagine what it would be like to begin to pray for the person in advance of them attacking you that you would pray that in that moment that God would be able to extend mercy and love and grace and truth through you. That you wouldn't spend all your energy trying to figure out how you're going to defeat them or counteract them, but rather that you would say, God, would you do something actually even greater than that? Would you do something that is so much greater than me just winning the argument or me getting back at a person, but would you and the power of your love be manifest through me in that interaction at lunch next Friday, in that email exchange that I know that's going to come up, in the chance encounter that I perhaps might have someday this week in the parking lot at the grocery store. You see, the more we premeditate on these things, the more we will find ourselves prepared for those moments long before the interaction even happens. Listen to the second passage of scripture. This is Ephesians 2 verses uh, 1 through 10. Paul writes, Remember, you were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. Paul is saying, you once lived an evil life because you lived it for yourself. You didn't live it for God's glory. You didn't live it for Jesus as your savior. There was a time before you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ that you were aiming for the things that you thought were good. And by definition, those things weren't God things. And therefore, by definition, it's evil. You see, there's evil that everybody agrees on, but there's evil that is very subtle that actually can be upheld within our society, that is actually very contrary to the heart of God. Romans says that all have sinned, all have fallen short of God's glory apart from Jesus Christ. Paul goes on, he says this, you see all of us, we once lived among this way of living in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses. And we were by nature children of wrath, like everyone else, but God, there's always a but God. In the midst of following our own way, but God intervened. In the midst of us doing our own thing, but God intervened. In the midst of us just trying to get what we wanted and how we want it, but God intervened. And it says this, but God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even 
when we were dead in our trespasses. In other words, but God who is rich in mercy, who loved us even when we were evil, even when we had our backs to God. God loved us. He broke the cycle of evil. He broke the cycle. He didn't turn his back to us because we first had our back to him. No, but God loved us because God is rich in mercy. He made us alive together with Christ. Remember, it's by grace that you have been saved. And you've been raised up with Jesus and seated with Jesus in the heavenly places in Christ. So that in the ages to come, God might show the immeasurable riches of God's grace and kindness towards us through Jesus Christ. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God. Not the result of works so that no one may boast, but we are made, we have been made for us and created Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Now let me break this down very succinctly. Paul is saying that there used to be a time when we were evil, we had our backs to God and God out of love pursued us in the person of Jesus Christ who through his sacrificial death and through our faith in him, we are then reconciled to God in Christ. Jesus' perfect record is now given to us and God looks at us and says that we are approved, we are righteous, we are made whole. We're the opposite of evil. We are now holy because Christ's record is our record. And now we get to live a life of good deeds and good works out of the overflow of that saving relationship, which Paul says, God prepared for us in advance to do. In other words, Paul is saying that God planned, he premeditated to extend mercy to us so that we could extend mercy to other people. In other words, we love because God first loved us. We are merciful because God first was merciful to us. I'm telling you, your life will be absolutely transformed if and only when you begin to realize how much mercy God has extended you. And you can begin to spend the energy and the activity of your prayers premeditating mercy that you would extend on Christ's behalf towards not just people whom it's easy to extend mercy to, to the people you can't stand. Now, for some of you, you perhaps are imagining certain commentators on certain news networks. This applies to all of you. Maybe some of you, 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 you picture a person. Maybe some of you are picturing one another. Imagine how much this world would be changed if we translated murder into premeditated mercy long before we even have an interaction with one another. We can grow in this area. We can become strengthened in this area. God-focused prayer, even before the interaction, is the first step of premeditated mercy. Well, what's that second step? You see, there's going to have to be an interaction. You're going to have to step into a phone call, an email exchange, an in-person encounter, 
And if you've been focusing on prayer, you've been getting your heart ready, you've been longing that God would speak wisdom through you in those moments, it's not going to go easy. It's not going to be comfortable. There's going to be things said or done to you that you won't expect, that you will be surprised by. And in those moments, there has to be God-focused endurance through every second of that interaction. Two verses I want to share with you. Galatians 6.10. The Apostle Paul says this, Let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So then whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, and especially those for the family of faith. Paul's saying that we're called to work for the good of all. All people. It's not just all Christians, it's all people, and especially Christians, but all people. Paul is saying that we can easily grow weary in doing good for all people. We can begin to feel tired. We can want to give up. We can want to tune out. Let us not grow weary, the Apostle Paul says. Let us have God-focused endurance. Let's let the Holy Spirit enable us and empower us to to get through these conversations, to get through these interactions, to not be so sensitive and turn away and avoid and take a sabbatical, but to step into these opportunities. Again, that can only happen first with premeditated mercy, beginning with God-focused prayer. But while you're together, that premeditated mercy continues through God-focused endurance. Listen to this second passage related to this. The writer of Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And Jesus now has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. So consider him, consider Jesus, who endured such hostility against himself from sinners, so that you may not grow weary in heart. You see, premeditated mercy can be sustained in those difficult encounters with others as you keep your eyes and your focus on Jesus. You see, that's a God-focused endurance. You take the eyes off of yourself and how you've been wronged, how you feel offended in that moment, and you look at Jesus, who very easily you could say the fullness of evil was thrust against him on the cross. All the powers of death and darkness and sin, all of humanity's brokenness crashed upon Jesus on the cross. Jesus in that moment could have repaid evil for evil. I mean, he's always existed. Scripture says that all things were created through Jesus. What could he have done if he wanted to repay evil for evil? I don't even want to think about it. But rather, you know what he said? Forgive them. Father, they do not even know what they do. You see, when you study the life of Jesus, 
there were moments long before that moment on the cross that Jesus had been praying. God-focused prayers. And he finds himself in the midst of that interaction, that evil interaction on the cross of the brokenness crashing upon him. And he stayed on the cross. He endured on the cross. He extended mercy on the cross. Paul says, for the, the sake of the joy set before him. He had his eyes on something bigger. He knew that on the other side of that interaction, on the other side of that painful, God-awful experience on the cross, that death would be defeated, that humanity had the, the possibility of being reconciled to Jesus. That was the joy that he longed for, to have us in right relationship with him. And the writer of Hebrews says, set your eyes on Jesus. In the same way that he endured, pray through the power of the Holy Spirit that Christ, through you, would endure as well. That regardless of what people say, regardless of what people do, regardless of how evil the evil is against you, that you wouldn't repay, return, reward in kind. And we're going to talk about in a few weeks what it means to overcome evil with good. But right now, it has a lot to do with premeditated. As Paul says, take thought for what is noble in the sight of others. Again, so the first one, premeditated mercy, uh, begins with God-focused prayer before the interaction. Second, uh, premeditated mercy continues with God-focused endurance during the interaction. And then finally, premeditated mercy is completed when there is God-focused worship after the interaction. Listen to what Jesus has to say. In Matthew 5, 16, Jesus says in the same way, let your light shine before others so that, there's a purpose, there's a reason, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. You see, something happens when you disrupt the cycle of hate. There's something that's going to happen when you disrupt the cycle of a tit for tat. There's something that could happen, and it's when people see you respond, Christ in you. It's not them focusing on your good works and your good deeds and praising you and thinking you're great. Paul says that there's an opportunity for people to see your good deeds and ultimately worship God in heaven because there's no other Reason, there's no other explanation for how you might be able to respond in that moment other than it being a supernatural, through the power of the Holy Spirit, work in your life. You see, when you really begin to premeditate on mercy, and you begin to see the opportunity not just to endure through something, but ultimately with the goal that the other person would become a follower of Jesus, that the other person would exchange whatever evil they're doing with worshiping God their Father, you are actually in that moment in a microcosm reenacting, rehearsing your own salvation story. Here's what I mean by that. 
when you don't respond in kind with hate and evil, but rather love in such a way that causes the other person to turn towards God. In that moment, you are reenacting, you are rehearsing your own story that goes back to the day when you had your back to God. That God didn't choose to respond in kind, didn't choose to turn God's back on you, didn't respond with the hate or the selfishness that you had, but rather out of love in the person of Jesus Christ, extended mercy to you so that you at some point turned away from your brokenness and your selfishness and you turned to God. How quickly we forget that once we were outsiders and we've been brought in, not because of our good works, but we've been brought in through the perfect love and the mercy of Jesus Christ. We've been blessed now to be a blessing. We've received mercy to now extend mercy to others. And so Paul said, don't repay evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. Premeditate on the beautiful, the good things, things that bless God's heart. That's how we're going to break this cycle. You see, it's about what you do before, during, and after. That's what premeditated mercy looks like. God-focused prayer, God-focused endurance, God-focused worship where the other person turns ultimately to praise God in heaven. But here's how you can get away with it. You see, that phrase is often used uh, in cases of murder. You know, how to get away with murder. Well, uh, thankfully, I don't know from, uh, you know, personal experience, but from what I've seen in uh, TV shows and films and in books that I've read or even read about reports, that people are able to get away with things if they leave no evidence behind that they were there in the first place. You see, you can get away with things if there's no evidence that you were there. And I believe that's the goal in premeditated mercy. In a mercy that is God-honoring, a mercy that blesses God's heart, it is a mercy that leaves no evidence that you were there in the first place. Listen to these words from Scripture. Philippians 2.13, this is the Apostle Paul writing. Remember, it's not you, but it's God who is at work in you. It is God enabling you both to will and to work for God's good pleasure. You see, all the evidence should be that it's Christ in you, the hope of glory that is doing these good deeds, doing these good works. All the evidence should point to your Savior. That's where people's attention should go to you, but now through you to the maker of heaven and earth. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 6, 1 through 13. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. To paraphrase, uh, don't leave any evidence behind that it's all about you when you do good deeds. Because if you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others, to make it all about them. 
Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners. Why? Because they want to be seen by others. To paraphrase, they want all the evidence of all the good deeds to be pointing to them. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling on and on like the pagans do. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. And in that moment, Jesus teaches his followers the Lord's Prayer. And this prayer that follows, I believe, is the greatest asset that emboldens us to have premeditated mercy. When Jesus teaches them to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. So God, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You see, as we rehearse, as we pray, as we enter into that in private places, I believe that grows in us a heart towards mercy, a heart towards God's kingdom alive and well in and through us, one that emboldens us so that we can show up longing for God's will to be done, leaving the evidence behind of God at work through a church at work. We can do this, church. But we've got to choose right here, right now, to be people who want to be followers of Christ, not just in word, but in deed as well. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you pursued us out of love when we had our backs to you. You brought us in. You reconciled us to yourself. You extended mercy even when we were merciless so that we can extend mercy to others. Help us to think about, to, to ponder, to obsess over, to premeditate on the merciful things that express your heart. May that change our lives, change our world, all for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray and we sit together. Amen. <laughs>